Thanks. I'm looking forward to hearing that again here this evening. Your Bibles are open to Psalm 73. We are going to walk through this remarkable chapter of the Bible today. It is penned, the Bible says, by a man named Asaph. There were several men in the Bible that went by that name. There was an Asaph in the days of Solomon when he built and dedicated the temple that was over a portion of the musicians that served at that time. There was also an Asaph um, after the fall of Jerusalem who penned some of the Psalms that we read. And the Bible does not identify for us which Asaph uh, was the author of this. And that is not necessary for our understanding of this. But we see in this man Asaph a very open and honest discussion. He's a man that's not going to put on any pretense, not pretend to be holier than thou, to act before us as if I've got everything together and my act is together, what is wrong with you? How many have ever met somebody like that? Such a joy to be around, are they not? Asaph doesn't do that, and that's probably why the Lord was able to use him to pen these words of Scripture. He begins in verse number one by sharing with us the reality, the reality of life as it is. He said, truly, God is good to Israel, but he doesn't confine it just to the Jewish nation, even to such as are of a clean heart. There are some promises in this book belong only to the nation of Israel. The land that they're now occupying is but a small portion of the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants for all eternity. That promise came from God. It didn't happen in 1948. It happened thousands of years before that when God promised it to Abraham. When all is said and done and all of this world comes to its conclusion, Israel will own the land from the Euphrates River on one side to the Mediterranean Sea on the other, from Egypt in the south to the north of Lebanon uh, uh, up in the northern direction. That means that part of Saudi Arabia and all of Syria and all of Jordan and all of Lebanon and part of Iraq and part of Iran, that actually belongs to the nation of Israel according to the promise of God. Why do you think they hate Israel so much? Because they hate the God of this Bible so much. So I can't claim that land as mine because I'm not an Israelite. Uh, I can't claim that promise, but I can claim Psalm 73 verse 1, truly God is good. Not just to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. The most often repeated verse in the Bible is, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That is a promise we can grab a hold of. And by the way, that is the reality that God is good, uh, even to such as are of a clean heart. That's the reality. But sadly, sometimes we look around and we question, is God really good or not? Some heartache, some setback, some tragedy comes into our lives. And if we're not careful, we'll be much like Job's wife who reaches a point of saying, uh, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. I don't say that to condemn Job's wife. I've never lived through even a portion of what that dear lady had to go through. But if we're not careful, we'll obliterate the reality that God is good. The Lord is good and doeth good. Nahum chapter one, I believe in verse number seven. And we'll start seeing reality through a different lens other than the word of God. 
If, if we're not careful, we're going to let the world tell us whether life is good or not, whether God is good or not. You can't trust the way in Sunday school. We, we sang, I just keep trusting my Lord. And I said, uh, let's, uh, let's do something a little weird here. Name some things you can't trust. We didn't have any hesitation. I mean, it just came flying out. Uh, you can't trust the media. Amen. Can't trust politicians. Amen. Uh, you can't trust the weatherman. Amen. I think he looks out the window and said, uh, it's snowing. Um, it's going to snow today. You know, you, you can't trust circumstances, but you can trust God. But here's the problem. We get our, guy, get our eyes off the reality of Psalm 73.1, the reality of Psalm 107.1 and so forth, that the Lord is good, and we allow other influences to determine our faith and our level of Christianity and thus our joy. Um, listen carefully. If you're letting CNN shape your worldview, you're going to have a distorted worldview. Same thing goes for Fox News, ABC, NBC, CBS, and all the, re the rest of the alphabet that is out there. If you're trying to decide right and wrong from Sean Hannity or, or Buck and Clay or Joe Rogan or any of the other unsafe people out there that are clogging up the airways, they might have a few good ideas here and there, but they're not going to give you the Bible. They're not going to state it God's way. Asaph said, here's a reality that God is good to Israel of which he was a part, even to such as of, are of a clean heart, which he was also a part. He was a man trying to live for God, trying to love God, trying to do his best to serve God. That was the reality. We got to settle some things in our mind that whatever the Bible says is real. Whatever the Bible says is true. It doesn't matter what's going on around us or sometimes even in us, we got to understand the Bible's always right. Bible's always right. Twice in the book of Daniel, the Lord points out to a king named Nebuchadnezzar that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth over it the basest of men. Do you understand that's a Bible reality? The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. I know believers, and we're just in a constant uproar because of the politics of the day and who's in charge and who's not in charge and what's going on over here and what's happening there. Pick up your Bible. God's still in control. He didn't abdicate. There aren't any accidents. There aren't any mistakes. Pick up your Bible and read how it all ends. You do understand that nation is going to rise against nation. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. You, you do understand that this world is going to unite behind a leader. Uh, goes by the title, the Antichrist. He's also called the beast. And they're going to, they're going to take up uh, arms against none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we think that we're here to bring about the kingdom of God. No, Jesus will do that when he comes back. We're here to serve Christ. We're here to be light and salt. We're here to get the gospel out to everybody. But you see, we get away from the Bible truth and, and let our worldview be, uh, be shaped and focused by something other than the Bible. You're going to find out that Asaph, this good man, fell prey to the same issue. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. That is a reality. By, that's, by the way, folks, that's a rea reality I have to grab a hold of every day because not everything in my life looks good. Not everything in my world looks good, but God is always 
good. And I have to grab a hold of that. I want you to notice Asaph didn't do that. CNN wasn't around then. Talk radio wasn't around then. But he got a different worldview that didn't come from the Bible. Verse 2, notice his resentment. But as for me, in spite of the fact that God is good, and I knew that, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. He didn't mean I was going to have an amputation. He just mean my feet were about to travel out of the way. I was about to turn off the path that God had for me. My steps had well nigh, well nigh slipped. I was ready to stumble and fall, and here's why. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Got his eyes on the world. Got his eyes on people that don't care about God, that mock our Bible, that mock our Savior, that mock our faith. And he said, I'm looking at them, and the Bible says God's good to those that are of a clean heart, but they've got all the money. They got multiple mansions. We're all up in arms. We're trying to figure out how do people in Congress getting paid $174,000 a year end up making millions and millions and millions of dollars, and I'm living paycheck to paycheck. We're trying to figure it all out. It's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Asaph felt himself just getting all tied up in knots. And, and he said, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They die in wealth. They die in luxury. Yeah, they died, but man, their whole life was silver spoon in their mouth. And they had cars and jets and mansions and pools and all that kind of stuff. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither, neither are they plagued like other men. They got the best of everything. Uh, they're not starving. They've got the designer clothes. They get to travel. And notice this, what it does to them. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. They are arrogant. They are proud. They are, hey, look at me. Look at me. Y you realize the posters hanging in your kid's bedroom aren't of some poor person. They're of some, you know, hyped up movie star or singer or athlete getting paid millions of dollars to do what? To entertain. And, and, and all that, he said, and, and pride combat. We don't need God. We're better than you. Stand in line and, and we might let you get, get, get our autograph. We might sign something for you. We might say hello to you. Pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a, as a garment. They're mean. They're nasty. They think because they've got all of this, that makes them somehow better than everybody else. I once heard, heard it said that the cross has an amazing ability to level the playing field. I won't do it this morning uh, all the way, but Brother Rob, come on up here. Does anybody notice a difference? Anybody? How, and how many notice it? I'm good looking. He's Rob. Okay. He's taller than I am, bigger than I am, stronger than I am, probably smarter than I am. He's got all those things going for him. And I, I won't make him do it now, nor will I attempt it. But if he and I were to prostrate ourselves in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's no longer taller than I, and I'm no longer shorter than him. The cross levels the playing field. The wicked don't see that. Thank you, Brother Rob. 
They, they see that, that somehow they're better than us and they know more than us and they're smarter than us and they've got pride. Verse seven, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. How many millions of dollars do you need to live on? I, I'd like to find out. <laughs> you think about it. Some of these people that are multi-billionaires still making more money. Uh, if I had a million dollars, I'd retire tomorrow. I'd probably retire this afternoon. You think about it, but no, they just need more and more and more. Uh, they have more than heart could wish. They're corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Oh, how they mock God. Oh, how they mock those that follow the Lord. The Bible says, therefore, his people return hither, meaning God's people are going back to the world in droves because... We don't like being the outcast. We don't like being the ones that's down. They, we, we got this idea. They've got something that's worth having. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? God doesn't, know, God doesn't see what's going on. God doesn't care. I can do what I want. It really doesn't matter. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. So here you have a godly man, a good man, a man godly enough that he's being inspired by Almighty God to write down words of divine inspiration for us, revealing a problem in his own heart that he knew that God was good, but he got his eyes on the world and their prosperity and all of the fun they appeared to be having, and it built inside of him a resentment. A resentment. You got to be careful. I've got to be careful. Don't believe the commercials. Don't believe the advertisements. Don't believe the media. Don't believe the talk show host. You need to get back and start believing the Bible again. Because you get your eyes out there, pretty soon you don't want to be here anymore. Human, God has designed us as human beings. We go wherever we're looking. We go wherever we're looking. I learned that in driver's ed at the age of 16. We were out with our instructor. Uh, we, we got driver's ed in high school when there were, uh, he was on, on one side, student driver here, two students in the back seat, and we're going down the road, and he told us, don't look at the middle line, and don't look at the line on the side of the road. He said, because if you do, your car will drift to whatever line. He said, you want to look so many feet out in front of you, right in the center of your lane, and keep your focus there. Otherwise, you're just going to be all over the place. Trina never took that driver's ed course. <laughs> Usually when we went on a trip, I started out and started doing the driving and I drive until I was tired and I'd say, hey, honey, can you drive for a little while? Sure, sure. So we'd pull in a rest area or whatever and we get back in and I'm over here in the passenger side now thinking I'm going to get some sleep and she's over here. Well, when she drove, she liked to see, she liked to see whatever was around her. Um, and so I just feel the car the whole time doing this. Um, and boy, don't let a semi pass us. That just freaked her out, but she would stare at the semi. It's like, no, just look straight ahead. And so she'd start swerving toward the semi, and all of a sudden I hear, oh my, oh my, oh my. You know how she could do that. I'd let that go on for about five miles, say, honey, I think I'm fully awake now. <laughs> See, God's designed us that wherever you're looking is where you're going. If you're looking for, to the world for pleasure and answers, you're going to be out in the world. You'll be like Demas who forsook the work of the ministry and the apostle Paul, the Bible says, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. But if your focus is on Christ, if your focus is on the word of Christ, your path will be true. 
your path will be true. So here you got a good man struggling just like we do. Lord, how come life is so hard for me? But it's not for them. They don't love you and they're not going through this. By the way, even the, the rich people get cancer. Even the rich people's homes fall apart. Even the rich people have kids that get messed up in drugs. In fact, a lot of them do. We, but, but we get blinded to that. All we see are the jets and the cars and the clothes and the money and the fame and all that kind of stuff. And like Asaph, I want you to notice the regret. Verse 13, verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. He wasn't just a guy that did right on the outside. He was sincere. He walked with God. He kept his heart clean. He said, what a waste. What, what value was it for me to live for God? I, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't chew, I didn't date the girls who do. I wasn't out there partying. I, I wasn't listening to their filthy music. I, I, I wasn't following their fads. I wasn't immoral, I wasn't doing this. He said, verily, he, he said, have I cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Everything I felt, everything I did, I was trying to live for God, but he said it was, it was useless. It was in vain. For all the day long have I been plagued, chastened every morning. He said, my life is just hard. I mean, I get up in the morning and it's just a struggle to make ends meet. It's going to a job maybe that I don't like, working with people that maybe I don't like. I have to, I listen to the cursing and the swearing and, and I'm an oddball if I speak for God and I'm looked down on if I have a Bible on my desk or at my workstation. Uh, I, I'm, I'm stared at and laughed at if I bow my head and pray in a public place and, and all of that. And he said, uh, uh, why? What was that worth? Listen very carefully. This is not just for young people, but any Christian that's looking out at the world for answers long enough, you'll start resenting your walk with God. You'll start minimizing the importance of staying right, of being in church. I realize Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, there's a lot of other things we could do. But the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching, the closer we get to the return of Christ in the end of all of this, we need to be in God's house more and more. But movies are sometimes more fun. Binge watching something is a lot more fun. The restaurant is a lot more fun. But you, you do understand something. It's not about what's fun. It's, it's what's faith. It's what's right. It's what's necessary. So... Here's Asaph. He, he knows the reality. God is good, but he got his eyes off of the goodness of God and looked out and said, but they're, they're the ones having all the fun and I'm missing out. And now he is filled with regret at his own decisions, his own walk with God. Verse 15, notice the dilemma. If I say I will speak thus, if I were to verbalize this, I'm tired of this church. I'm tired of this Bible stuff. I'm tired of preaching. I'm tired of, of God. I can't do this and I have to do that. I can't go there and I have to go. There. Yeah, I'm tired of all of this. He said, if I were to say that, Notice what he says, verse 15, I should offend against the generation of thy children. Everybody think I was a backslider. By the way, backsliding always starts in the heart. Long before somebody walks out of the door of the church, never to come back to go out into the world, it started in here. It started in here. And he said, if I were to speak up, everybody would think I'm a 
backslider, an awful Christian, actually, probably if he spoke up in a right spirit, there'd be somebody else say, you know, I've been feeling the same way. You know, I've been struggling with the same thing. It's human nature, isn't it? It's human nature. When I thought to know this, verse 16, it was too painful for me. This is just a hard way to live. Am I, am I just supposed to trudge through the rest of my life till I get to heaven and everything's good? And the rest of my life here is just miserable and joyless and this endless struggle. Would you compare Asaph for a moment with the apostle Paul? Keep your place here. Second Corinthians chapter four. We, we looked at this, I think maybe even Wednesday night. Did Paul have an easy life after he got saved? Not at all. Anybody here have a life as hard as Paul's was? If so, I need you to sign my Bible too. Okay. Notice, notice what the man says. Verse number eight, we are troubled on every side. Right now, I've, I've got some troubles. You see me pledging allegiance a little this morning. Uh, this side has some trouble. We, we, every now and then we have it, you know, the car breaks down or, or, or we got an unexpected bill or somebody gets sick or we get sick. We have trouble on this side or that side. He said, there's no side on which I don't have trouble. He said, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're not stressing out about it. Testimony time, I would. I'd be awake at night. I'd be asking God, why are you letting this happen? I'd be, how in the world am I going to get through this? He said, we're not. We are perplexed. We don't know what to do. We don't know how this is going to turn out. Uh, we don't know what the answer is, but not in despair. That's not how I would be, I don't think. I, I'm just being honest this morning. I know my nature. I, I'd be frantic for an answer. When I have a problem, guess when I want it fixed? Yesterday. Not now. That's too late. I want it. Yes, I want the problem never to have happened. Paul said, we've got them. We're distressed, but we're still not despairing. Persecuted. Boy, the world hates us everywhere we go, but not forsaken. God hasn't hated us. God hasn't turned his back on us. Cast down. We're treated like filth and so forth, but we're not destroyed. We're the Energizer bunny. We just keep on going. We're Samsonite luggage that, you know, you can throw it down a mountain and there it is. We're the Timex watch of Christianity. Takes a lick and keeps on ticking. I just dated myself. Everybody under my age is going, what on earth is he talking about? You missed out on the golden years of American life. Always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So death worketh in you, in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith. Here it is. I'm not living by my frailty. I'm not living by my feelings. I'm not living by all the things happening to me. He said, I'm living by faith. According as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Do you realize there is coming a day that, that, that we win? Now, we're already more than conquerors through him that loved us if we will just let Christ live through us, if we'll just get our eyes off this, this lost and dying world and realize we ought not be going uh, to them for fun. We ought to be going to them to give them the gospel so they can find what we've got. 
Because we got the answers right here in this book. We've got the source and the fountain of joy. We've got access to the peace that passeth all understanding. We get to go boldly to the throne of grace to find help in a time of need. They don't even know what those terms mean. We don't need what the world has. They need what we have. Paul said, that's how I'm living my life. And we're going through problems, and I'm not minimizing anything that any one of us are going through. But compared to the Apostle Paul, it's a mountain compared to a molehill. And here's a man with all of those things saying, but God is good, and the day's coming. God's going to make it all right. How did he get through all of that? I, I closed my Bible, 2 Corinthians 4. Let me get back there. Maybe you did too. I hope so, so that I don't feel too bad. Look what he says, verse 16. For which cause we faint not? We're not quitting. We could be Asaph, we could be discouraged, we could backslide, our feet could well nigh slip, but we're not, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We got God, and every single day I find a strength and a grace that gets me through the day. And the next day I'll wake up and there's more grace ready to see me through whatever happens to come my way. For our light affliction. You know, we, we stub our toe and we think the end of the world has come. He's beaten with rods and he calls that a light affliction. He's shipwrecked. He goes, yeah, that was nothing. You know, somebody dented our car at Walmart and we're ready to sue. And, you know, we, we think the end of the world has come. And, and all of that, he said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, and that's the problem of a whole bunch of us. We're looking at the things we can see with our eyes and, and what's going on in this world. No, that's where Asaph's problem started. That's, Paul said, we don't look there, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. They are temporary. They're temporary. Anybody here ever build a brand new house? Anybody here? We, we built one in... New York, we lived in it about four months and then we sold it to go somewhere else and start a church. We weren't there but two weeks and uh, during construction, apparently some type of a wasp got into the rafters up, up in, on top, the kind that chews through wood and stuff like that. And my wife called me one day and said, honey, we have a dark spot in the ceiling. We'd lived there two weeks. It's brand spanking new. She said, there's a dark spot in the ceiling. I got home and she said, honey, I've been watching it. That spot's getting bigger all day. And I looked up and sure enough, it was. And I, 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 I got on the ladder because I wasn't him. And I poked at the ceiling and it was soft and spongy. They were, they were eating through the drywall. And the next thing we know, there's a hole and these wasps are coming out. It's a brand new house. You understand that everything in this world is all about decay? It's all about that nations rise, nations fall. We're supposed to hang on to the things which are eternal. Winning souls, that's eternal. Living for God, that's eternal. Being right with God, that's eternal. Paul said that's what we're living for, and that's what we're looking at. Go back to Psalm 73. Got a man named Asaph that didn't do that, and he ended up miserable in his Christian life. What's the point? Verily, I've cleansed my hands uh, in vain, washed my, or cleansed my heart in vain, washed my hands in innocency. Why should I do this? And then suddenly the realization came to him. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, the temple where the presence of God was, I got close to God. Then understood 
either end. See, it's not what's happening now, it's how does it all end up. You don't have to turn there for sake of time, but in Luke 16, the Savior told a story. Some have claimed that it, it may not have been a parable because he gave a name to one of the characters. And in his other parables, no one has ever given a name. The Bible says there was a certain rich man who, who was dressed in purple, meaning he was of noble rank and importance. He was a somebody. He fared sumptuously every day. And at the gate to his estate, there lay a beggar, a man named Lazarus, whose body was filled with sores, and the dogs came and licked his sores. What a, what a vile situation for, those, for that man to live in. So Lazarus is watching the gates open every day, and, and, and out comes the rich guy in his chariot or, or, or whatever it happens to be, and he's got his servants attending to him, and he's got all those fine clothes, and here's a man laying covered in the dust in the, the mire of the road. Uh, here's a man, his clothes are rotted. Here's a man whose body is just covered in horrendous sores, uh, fending off the dogs that are coming there, uh, meaning that maybe he almost looked more dead than alive and that was Lazarus' life compared to the rich man. And the rich man died. I'm sorry, and the beggar died. And that's going to happen to every one of us. It is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. The Bible says the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. He went to paradise. He wasn't a beggar anymore. He wasn't clothed in rags anymore. He, he wasn't hungry anymore. That, that all changed. Because see, uh, as the text goes on, we find out that Lazarus had put his faith in the Almighty God and the Word of God. Lazarus is what we would deem a born-again Christian. He didn't have two pennies to rub together in this life, but boy, he had heaven to look forward to. He had a Savior to look forward to. And the day came when all of a sudden all the sores are gone and the clothes are changed. He's like the prodigal son, uh, you know, put a robe on him and a ring on his finger and kill the fatted calf. This was Lazarus' eternity. And you understand, however old he was when he died was, was like a one grain of sand in an hourglass compared to the length of eternity. That was his end. But the rich man died also, the Bible says, and in hell lifted up his eyes being in torments. That's what, that's what Asaph came to the realization, I'm going to heaven someday. They're not. Oh, they got it all now, but in hell they'll have nothing. They'll have nothing but pain. They'll have nothing but anguish. They'll, they'll have nothing but fear. They'll have nothing but darkness. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their, their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? As a dream when one awakes, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. That word image means a shade or a phantom or an illusion. In other words, their lives are almost just like an illusion. None of it was real. It, it was, but, but none of their joy, none of it was real because it doesn't last. It, it, it won't transfer to heaven with them. They'll leave their mansion back here. They'll, they'll leave their cars here. They'll leave their planes here. They'll leave their bank account here. It was all emptiness. Didn't Solomon say about the things of this world? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Look at the repentance. Verse 21. Then was my heart grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. 
the reins were the pieces of leather that you used to, for lack of a better term, steer a horse. You tug one side and it goes to that direction. You tug the other side, you tug both, it comes to a stop. We, the Bible talks about our will being like the reins of a horse, deciding, am I going to follow God or am I going to follow the world? Am I going to live for God or am I going to join my friends? He said, I was pricked in my reins. I realized I was guiding my life off course. And a spirit of repentance overcame him. He was upset earlier because I'm not rich like they are. They're having all this fun and I'm missing out on it because I'm a Christian. I can't go out to, the, to, to R-rated movies because my parents say we're Christians. We don't do that. And moaning and complaining on these rules and all these standards and all that. That's what he used to feel bad about. He said, not anymore. I'm feeling bad that I was like that when God's been so good. And all those people that I thought had it all together, they're going to be lost for all eternity. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. So here's this spirit of repentance in him. Notice the rejoicing in verse 23. Nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast hold me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. No matter what hardship or heartache that I've ever gone through or that you ever will go through, God is right there. He not only said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'd like to testify this morning. He never has left me nor forsaken me and he never will. On my darkest day, on my saddest day, he's been right there every moment of the way. In my most trying moment, he's right there to give me strength. I, I don't always see him. I don't always sense his presence. But I got a Bible truth that said that that's the way that it is. And Asaph is coming back to that. And now he's rejoicing once again. Uh, his Christian life isn't bothering him anymore. His Christian life isn't a list of rules anymore. It's about the relationship with God the way that it was always supposed to be. So now notice there's a readjustment. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. He got his focus off the world. Stopped getting his worldview from the media. Got it from the word of God and said, there's nothing on this earth that I desire beside the Lord. He wasn't saying it's, it's wrong to have a nice house or a nice car or nice clothes or to get a raise. He's just saying, I'm not living for those things. I'm living for God. All I want to do is please God. He's got a readjustment in the way that he's thinking his life. And notice the resolve. He said, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If I've got God, I've got everything I need. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. He found his place. By the way, he got his joy back. Got his happiness back. And notice the last phrase of verse 28. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. I'm not going to run around talking anymore. Hey, did you see that movie? Did you see that? Did you, did you know that? He said, I'm not going to talk about that stuff. I just want people to know how good God is. I'm going to declare him. The heavens declare the glory of God. So why shouldn't I? This man's got a new resolve in life. Do you understand? He's not just going through the motions anymore. He, he's not just enduring anymore. He's enjoying. He's like Paul. 
He, he's not despairing about things. He's, he's got the Lord. He's getting renewed. And so he can say with Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can't speak for anybody else in this room, but I know there have been multiple times in my Christian life that I have made the same mistake as, if, as in Asaph. Some happened as a new teenage, uh, new teenage Christian. And I got my eyes off the Lord and on the things of the world. And by the way, it never panned out well. Never made me as happy as I thought it was going to. It's happened as an adult. It's happened as a pastor. It's human nature. We live in a troubled world. We live in a messed up world. We need to get our eyes off of that. We need to get our worldview from this book and nowhere else. Nowhere else. We're fools if we don't, that's why he said, so foolish was I. Where are you at? Where are you at? How many know Christ as your savior? That's settled. You know for sure you're going to go to heaven someday. There's a foundation in your life there that can't be taken away. Can we bow our head for prayer?